Can you imagine what would happen if one day you woke up and your teenage daughter was the most famous person in social media, specifically on the most downloaded new platform of social media, TikTok? Well, that's what happened to my guest today, Heidi Demelio. You or someone in your family may follow one or both of her daughters. Charlie Demelio has over, I think it's 150 million followers on TikTok, almost that on Instagram. Her daughter Dixie now has 56 million TikTok followers. Heidi herself has over 9 million followers on TikTok. The family combined since the onset of COVID have together collectively gained almost 200 million followers and growing. Many people say that the appeal of the D'Amelio family is that they are so down to earth. They are so relatable. They're truly the family next door. Like they're not incredibly gorgeous or incredibly rich or incredibly funny. They're just incredibly normal. And that was kind of the appeal initially on TikTok. This is my own assessment, by the way that one of the reasons why this family blew up, and especially Charlie initially, is because she was a pretty girl, but she wasn't plastic surgery pretty. She wasn't overly made up pretty. She was just naturally gorgeous, fresh, clean, the kind of girl you hope your son might date. My guest today, Heidi, her youngest daughter started posting these popular dance videos on TikTok. And literally overnight, she became the most followed person on the platform. Heidi and her husband, Mark, have recently launched their own podcast called The Other Demelios. They share marriage tips, parenting tips. And of course, for those of us who wonder, like, what would it be like to overnight have not just one member of your family, but the entire family become famous? What I loved about listening to them, the two of them, their podcast, is that that's not a word that they use. And I noticed that right away. They say, well-known, people know about us, people follow us. Like there's a real sense of humility and being humble, not letting it go to their head, like really staying grounded. And I frankly wasn't surprised. You just get that sense when you watch their daughters in social media that they know what they're doing. They know what has happened. They're smart. They are both naturally beautiful. And you can tell that they're both naturally talented. And you can tell that they're both really grounded. Like these are confident young women. Can you imagine? I can't. I've got close to 700,000 followers on Instagram. I think a million on Facebook. I think I'm closing in on 800,000 on TikTok. And I know personally that the more people you have following you, the more of a target you become. I mean, the more people see you having accolades or popularity or anything for that matter of notoriety, the more there are people out there who are just plain old-fashioned jealous, negative, bitter, hateful, and they don't see you as a person. They think, well, you have so many followers, you're never going to see this comment, so I can say something horrible about you to make myself feel better in the moment. They assume that you're never going to see that comment, but you do. We talk about that. We talk about what fears Heidi and Mark have entering into this brand new season. We talk about imposter syndrome. We talk about how this is going to affect her daughter's body image and the sexualization of young women online. And and what is it like when you've got two teenage daughters who frankly can support themselves and then some? What is it like when the whole family is suddenly in demand and on TV and thrust into the limelight, thrust into the middle of Hollywood? Spoiler alert, this is not a typical fame-hungry, spotlight-thirsty momager who's hell-bent on having her kids be the next big thing. This is a mom who is truly devoted to being a parent, to being a great wife, to holding her family together, and figuring out how to navigate this crazy, insane thing that's happened to her family. Without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to my new friend, Heidi Demelio. So Lifer's super excited to speak to another mom, another entrepreneur, and somebody who I think we have a lot in common with, and we have a lot to learn from today. Heidi, thank you so much for joining us here today on The Shaleen Show. So excited to be here. I never thought this day would happen. 
I've been following you for a long time. So, you know, I want to know what one of my favorite podcasts was. No, I don't even know that you listen. That's so cool. Yes. So the one where you and your husband recorded separately about love yeah. language, I shared that with so many people because I feel like it was so good and so many people could get so much out of it. And I got so much out thanks, of it. Thanks. Thanks. I really have enjoyed listening to you and your husband. You know, I just want to get a sense of like, you know, who you are and where you come from. And I just have to say, you can just tell there is, I mean, you guys are level-headed, you know, what's important. And that's the only way this is going to work. Right. I mean, without destroying your families, when I say this, you guys have experienced something that is quite remarkable. Very few people ever experience something like your family has experienced like overnight, not shouldn't say overnight, nothing's an overnight success, but pretty rapid notoriety. I also want to mention that I love the word choices that I listen to you and your husband using. Like even that to me expresses that you're humble. Like I don't hear you often say like famous or when we became famous, you're like, when we became known, it's weird <laughs> we walk in places and people know us, you know, I really appreciate that. But anyways, this was so sudden. Yes. Although, you know, your husband's been an entrepreneur for many years, but so sudden, what would you say has been your greatest fear as a mom? And as a woman who's in a successfully happy marriage, what are some of your greatest fears that this could turn into or that might happen? I don't think I look at any of it from a position of fear because I always feel like we can figure it out. I always mm -hmm. feel like we're always going to be parents first. Parenting our daughters comes first before anything else. So, with that, you know, as any parent knows, there are things you never expect as you're a parent and you're parenting teenage right. girls. So with that, I feel like parenting now is not much different than parenting before all of this happened. It's just, there's a lot more eyes on it. Yeah. I can, even that it's like not fear. Like I kind of always look at it, like everybody parents differently and whatever works for them. And so I feel that way about us and our personalities and how we do things. We look at it fearful, any of it, sure. you know, probably the main thing was like their safety when they're out, but we have security. So I don't know. I, I don't look at it like that. And maybe it's delusional, but well, so here's what I mean by that. And thank you. Cause that's an honest answer, right? <laughs> when I live in Orange County and, you know, run in circles where there are people connected to all the housewives. And there's a, a couple of year period there where the producers would reach out every year to see if we would be interested. And for me, I always felt like if I were to go on Real Housewives, that in my mind, whether it's superstition or looking statistically speaking, I'm like, that's like getting a neck tattoo of your wife's name. Like you automatically end up divorced. Right. Like statistically speaking, right, right. the women that go on the show, they just end up like not being house. They end up being single. And especially when my kids were younger, I was like, I just can't go that route. So that was a fear that I had. Mm -hmm. So are there any things where you're like, you know, I've watched other people where fame or, you know, just a ton of followers and notoriety has happened pretty quickly. And some things that I definitely know that we're going to avoid mm -hmm. are. So I think I will go back and say before. Yeah. There was talks of reality show and this kind of thing very early on. And I was the last to be okay with this because I felt like I don't want everybody to know who I am. I am much better mm. being like a supporting role in the family and always have been. When I was younger and I modeled and I was never huge or anything, but I was like, I had my time. I have my spotlight. Like it's my kid's turn. Let's just like, however much they want to do this, let's go. So I guess there was that fear. Like, I guess it was more of like, I don't want to be known as the mom who's trying to take their kid's spotlight. That makes sense. Yeah. So I guess you could say that as a fear. And what ended up happening was every time we'd leave the house, we were being filmed and then people would take these short videos and kind of create a narrative about who they thought we were. And that, mm. that didn't sit well with any of us. And so that's when I got on board and I was like, if we're going to be filmed anyway, let us tell our story. Mm. We haven't talked about it yet, but the Hulu show is a docu-series. Yeah. It's not a reality show. It's very much step one. You realize you're watching 
a documentary of our life and it's not set up situations or anything like that. And so that's kind of what got me. And then I lost that fear. I'm like, you're going to see, I'm not that person. I'm not trying to be the mom in the front line, you know, like that's my kids. Like if they were in a sport or dance or anything, you go watch your kids, you clapping for them, you're rooting for them. Like that's kind of who I am. But in turn, in this whole thing, there have been opportunities for me and my kids love when I do things, Mm. they're like, you're so good at it. You Uh should do more things. And so it kind of makes me feel better that they're on board with it. And they're not like this. Yeah. Oh God, mom's at it again. Like, you know, whatever. They love it. They're like, do it. And that, that probably speaks to the fact that you aren't that mom because that mom is the mom who, <laughs> you know, especially teen daughters, that's a difficult stage to get through. Been there, done that. For sure. But teen daughters, especially, like, there's this whole like three, four year period where all they do is roll their eyes. You just feel like you're such a, like, your confidence will never be lower than when your teen <laughs> girls are. <laughs> around, you feel like you dress like a dork. You feel like, as my kids call a try hard, like I've never felt more insecure than when my kids were teenagers. (laughs) Are you doing too much mom? (laughs) Yes, exactly. Exactly. Okay. So there's, you know, there's that whole opportunity. There's that, there are things where people want to see you and they're reaching out to you to be an influencer. You have a huge following. You're beautiful. You're a model. But then there's that also that side of things where traditionally speaking, there's that momager. Right persona and to speak to me about that. And there's a lot of stories right now in the news about very famous celebrities whose parents are now being accused of like driving their kids too hard to work and to be famous and to make money. So this is an easy one. Very early on when this started happening and the girls started growing so fast on social media is Mark and I knew we did not want to manage our kids. We knew that was the death of our family and our closeness and what we were all about. And we were like, that is not happening. And so early on we got, it was like the way it happened was very organic and beautiful. And we had someone who lived like two towns over in Connecticut. We used to live right outside of New York city and it just worked. And she started managing the girls. That's why I'm saying like parenting always comes first. Like, because we couldn't imagine a time where we're like, okay, wake up. You have deliverables. You have to get this stuff done. Let's go. No, it's wake up. Good morning. How'd you sleep? Like that's always going to be first. So to, to put the work first was so unnatural and weird. And we just knew. How did you know that? I don't know that I would have known that. I guess it's hard to say until you're in that situation, but I can't say that I would have known it would complicate the relationship in the way that it sounds like the two of you did. Were there other people that you talked to about this? The one thing was we knew we didn't want to be managers, but we knew our kids well enough to know that when they were on set, whether it was a photo shoot or filming or anything, one of us is always there because there's something in your kid's eyes when they look at you and you know, you know what, we just need a minute and we go in the bathroom and I have cramps or, you know, I don't like the way they did my hair. Like they don't always, they don't like to upset people. They don't want people to think they're being difficult. So like if we're in glam and they don't love their hair, they won't say. So those are the moments Mm -hmm. that I see it in their eyes. And I'm like, let's just take a minute, whether it's me or Mark and we are that voice. And we have a great team in place. Like they're always saying, I feel bad. Like (laughs) they're very much like that. So I get to be that and then bring it to the manager and they handle it. So it's kind of like these buffers for them and it just works. I think it's great. Heidi, we've done a lot of podcasts here about parenting. I was always really reluctant to do any shows on parenting until my kids were older. And by older, I mean, they were like later in high school. And even then I'd be like, oh, please, I just know this podcast is going to come out. And then tomorrow they're both going to get arrested for like bank robbery or something, you know? So it always kind of made us nervous to talk about parenting. We always made it really clear, as you and your husband do on your podcast, which we will put a link to in our show notes, that you know, we're not experts, but here's mm-hmm. what we did that worked. And I've heard that people just rave about how humble, kind, polite, and easy to work with your kids are. Those were the things that you instilled with them before any of this happened. The foundation was 100%. there. 100%. Give me some of those tips if you can. Like, what do you think are just some absolutes when it comes to parenting that you would share that advice to any listener? I think just they, our kids know that we're going to always be very real with them. 
and it's not always what they want to hear. And that's hard because you want to make your kids happy and you want to make them feel good. But we knew that that wasn't going to do them a service. From what age? Could you give me an example of like a really young age of that? So really young, like kindergarten, first grade, you know, they come home with art projects. We laugh about it now. And they have said in public how much they appreciate that we did this. And I'll tell you this example. They would come home with their artwork, first, second grade, whatever. And can you guys grade it? Now, the teacher already put a star, most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Now they want us to grade it because they know we're going to be real at first grade. They're very young. And Mark would be like, I feel like you could have put more effort in, to be honest. Like you use two two colors, like there's 64 colors in the box. Why not? (laughs) Let's go use them all. And, you know, he would give it a C, sometimes a D. That was much harder for me. I would be like, you know, always just do your best. Like that was kind of my take on everything. And Mark was like, he would go in. And to this day, they're like, we are so glad you did not give us A's on our artwork. They're actually both really good at art. (laughs) They would never show that to the public. That's so funny. But we just didn't make them feel good all the time. I'm not saying we were going out of our way to make them feel bad, but we were real. Yeah. Realistic. It sounds to me like Mark is the type of parent who is not a fan of the uh, everyone gets a trophy because you participated trend. No, (laughs) to be honest, no. So what were some other things that you instilled in them when they were really young that you think is just like, thank God we did that because today it is why, for example, work ethic. Yeah. Did you instill a work ethic in them? So, okay. So I'm from Louisiana and Mark was born in New York City. And the drastic differences in the two places because my whole family lives in Louisiana. So my kids grow up going back and forth often. It's very obvious the difference in the two places. Like Dixie was probably seven and she said, mom, when they ask you how you doing, they really want to know. They want to sit down with you and they want you to talk and tell them and visit. You know, everybody down there says, let's visit. And in, in the Northeast, they ask you, but they really don't want to take the time to hear what you have to say. And so I think they realized that there was that balance and they could spot it. You know, they could Mm. feel it like it was different. That's that part of it. And then just being from Louisiana, like everybody had chores. They still have chores. Well, Dixie lives on her own. So I don't really have that there. And she pays all her own bills. So I'm like, okay, whatever. But for Charlie, she still lives at home. She has chores. There are things they expect. And that this is something we always told them. There are things you are expected to do to be a part of this family. Like, we're not just going to have freeloaders here. Like, we do a lot for you. And we always reminded them of that. Like, obviously, that's our job, right? We are, we wanted to have kids. We want to do, and we do a lot of really fun things and always have, you know, that's a given, but we need you to like carry your weight in the house. We have dogs. They need to be fed if I'm busy. Or we also set them up to win. We would put things in place that would help them. Like, listen, today, I know you're back to back. You have school and dance. You have a test tomorrow. You know, I got you covered, you know, and we always kind of just had each other's back. And then as far as the work ethic, Charlie was a dancer starting at three years old and Mm. was a competition dancer starting at five. And this was something inside of her that was, okay, I'm going to dance class. This was like, she eats, let everything dance. She loved it. It was her outlet. And as she grew, she used it more from the emotional side, like help herself get through things. And she always wanted to do more. And so that was kind of like... I don't know. She saw Mark, you know, start businesses and work his butt off. I definitely feel like it was something they emulated. Dixie was a BMX racer. Oh, I didn't know that. That's so cool. So they really took on very different roles. (laughs) That's something I wanted to get to is the sibling rivalry that oftentimes parents have to navigate. And I think it's always tougher when you're talking about two same-sex children, you know, because it's just so natural to say, to look and go, oh, you're not doing as much. When you have children who are of opposite sex, it's almost a little easier because they don't get the same comparisons. Yeah. Well, so Dixie started in musical theater when she was three and Charlie was doing dance, but they did a lot. They tried everything, everything they wanted to try. We're like, let's go. We'll do it. And they're like, yeah, no, don't like that. But I would make them stick with it. That was the one thing I'm like, I paid for it. You're going to do it. Till the session ends. Charlie tried ice skating when she realized she wasn't wearing a leotard and this beautiful costume for ice skating when you're five. 
you have to wear a snowsuit. She was like, yeah, I don't want to do this. I'm like, well, we have six more weeks, so you're doing it. I was tough. I would stick to my guns, but I will tell you there was something about, I look back and I do have regrets on as a parent. I'm one of four girls and my mom and dad did something that I felt was important to do for my kids. And I feel like it didn't work for my kids Mm -hmm. is that I wanted so much for them to know that they were equal in my eyes. Like one wasn't better. One wasn't this. And so I really made an effort to make things equal. And I feel like Mark had a better sense. He is a sister. So different Mm -hmm. sex, it was different. Like he was like, I took out the garbage. I did this. I cut the grass. My sister didn't do those things. But for me, when I look back at trying so hard to make sure they knew that one wasn't better than the other, I missed out on them being their own person and like kind of embracing like, oh, Dixie killed it in her BMX race today. Like we're going to celebrate her today and tomorrow it might be you and just not be caught up in no, like I didn't downplay anything they did, but I just wanted to make sure, oh, I'm giving her as much like Hmm. hype for what she did that I give her. Why do you think that that is, that seems to me like a good thing? I feel like it made the girls not appreciate the other one as much as they like almost downplayed. Like, am I getting equal time here? Never was said. That was never said. We haven't really even had that conversation, but I feel like they would probably be like, what are you talking about? It's whatever. Right. Right. They'll come up with other things in their therapy sessions. (laughs) I can can tell you they do. I'm like, oh, so that's how you All right. I do feel like just celebrate each for their own thing and don't get caught up like, okay, everybody's equal. Everybody's doing great. I think we all do that. We all second guess the things that we did as parents and sure. we we're always just doing our very best. But I think it speaks to your self-reflection to wonder like, how did that impact them? Maybe it was good. Maybe I should have done something different, but it is what you did and it's where they are today. So they have you to thank you for that. You mentioned that you didn't let them quit and you let them try everything, which mm-hmm. is really interesting. That's how my parents were too. My husband's parents were kind of quite the opposite where, you know, you had one sport and you're going to be the best at it and you're going to get a scholarship and you're going to be the you know best in the country. And literally they were, and, and that, that's all they focused on. Okay. I don't think that they were told they couldn't do other things, but I think there's a lot of parents. And I wonder if you agree, Heidi, who without implicitly telling their children, you're going to disappoint mom if you quit ice skating or, you know, Dad's going to really be upset with you if you quit baseball. There's this feeling that a lot of kids have today that they have to specialize in one thing. And whether they like it or not, they have to just keep getting better and better and better. And that's kind of one of the few ways that they get mom and dad's approval recognition or they feel it that Mm -hmm. way. So you had mentioned, I would let them try anything, but they had to at least complete whatever that was. Mm -hmm. So Why is it, I'm sure there were things like, for example, with Charlie's dancing and and Dixie's BMX where you had to see like, they've got great potential and their kids, they're not going to have, you know, this is that tug of war that we parents have sometimes where it's like, they don't see what's possible. I can see their true skill level and they're going to want to quit because they're a kid and that's normal. And I'm going to have to force them or encourage them to keep going. So where's that balance for you? So when the girls were in elementary school and Dixie was fifth in the nation in BMX, she was very good. So badass. I love that. Doing musical theater in between. And it's the funniest little combination. And, you know, and then Charlie was doing dance and competing and she was really doing really well. And I remember at their elementary school, Dixie's kindergarten teacher's brother was an Olympic medalist. And he came to the school in what? In rowing. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. And he came and talked to the kids and met everybody like class by class. And he was asking about BMX. And he said something that has stuck with me. He's like, listen, who knows what's going to happen in her life, but I can almost guarantee whatever she's going to be successful at is not what she's doing right now. She Mm -hmm. was like second grade, third grade. And I was like, I don't know. Like she's pretty good. Fast forward, BMX became an Olympic sport. And at the time it wasn't. And Mm. I was just like, I sat with that. He was like, what she's doing now is going to give her the work ethic, the drive, the passion, and she'll probably end up doing something else. And I was like, wow, I never really. And so when she did want to stop doing BMX, 
I was like, he was right. She had a lot of migraines and stuff. So it was like more of a medical thing, but she just was done. It was a lot. We traveled the country. We were all in, like, it was fun. It was fun for our family. We met so many great people. And she just was like, I don't know. It's just like, I always have a headache. Like, it's just a lot. And we're like, okay. And we moved right along. We never got hung up on it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I think that's so important for people to hear. I really do. I just, you know, my best friend is a a therapist and I can't tell you the number of people who sit in her chair who struggle with feeling like they were never enough or that they disappointed their parents as kids. Mm -hmm. And, and what you just said, like here, here she's got these incredible talents and it's a family activity, but she doesn't want to do it anymore. And you guys were like, that's okay. That's so powerful. I just have to commend you for a second because what you're saying to your child is like, we love you because you're you, whatever you want to do, it's cool with us. Yeah. And then she went into doing triathlon. So I was like, okay, moving right along. Like (laughs) she always wanted to do something. She had a lot of concussions, not because of BMX, just from random sports. But so she was always ready to try the next thing. So I knew she would like jump into something else, but she always had the music, which was like kind of her little sweet spot. But for Charlie, with all this growth and social media and all the craziness that's happened, her life is different when it comes to dance. And I struggled with, okay, so we moved from Connecticut to LA. Now she's not in her home studio. Even when she was, first of all, everybody was in quarantine. So no one was in the studio, which I think helped. You know, that's what she knew. And she is like, When she gets comfortable in her space, she has a hard time stepping outside of that. So it helped that no one was in the studio. So they were all kind of dealing with that the same. This was her team. This was her second home. She was home or the studio six days a week. And it was not me. I'm like, let's do some other stuff. She's like, no, I want to go in the studio. I'm going to go clean the floors. I'm going to go babysit. Like I'm even if she didn't have class. So for her now in the move and now things are opening and she has the, when did you move by the way? We moved a year ago. Okay. And she has the opportunities to go to classes again. We built a dance studio in the house. She was like, you know, I would love to have that. And we had the opportunity and the space. So we did it. And she doesn't really want to dance anymore. And this was hard for me because, you know, she had used it for like emotional reasons, just freestyling and improving and dancing to emotional music. Oh, yes. I get it. Now you take that away. Like, how are you dealing? And I was trying to create, you know, we could get choreographers to come here. Like you have people that want to work with you just one-on-one. She's concerned about going in the group and who's going to film her. And she's, hasn't been dancing as much. Her technique is in there and just all these things in her head. And so I asked her because I didn't know if that balance, like, do I push? Because I can see long game and she has so many opportunities and she's 17 and like, I don't want to do it. You know? So I just asked her, I said, I think you're wrong by not dancing. That's what I think. But I'm going to ask you, and I need you to be honest. Should I be pushing you? And she said, because she has this pattern through her life. Like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. First of all, I want to play basketball. Okay. We got the shoes. We got the socks. We got the ball. We got everything. (laughs) Day of basketball. Yeah. I don't really want to go. Okay. We signed you up. You paid. There's only five kids on the team. So you have to go because then they can't play. And she was crying. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. She was probably eight, nine, maybe 10. And we pushed. She had an amazing time. She loved her team. She was a point guard. She was so scrappy on the court and she's done this throughout her life. So there is a Mm. pattern. Now we're here and she has a million eyes on her and all this stuff. And I'm like, do I push or is this that point where, you know, maybe she's just done with it. I don't know. So I asked her, I said, I love that you asked her. I said, do I push you? Because I feel like if I don't, I'm going to regret it. And she said, you just have to let me be. This is not the time to push. I said, okay, Okay. I need to know that you're not going to come back and say, you should (laughs) have pushed me because I am not going to accept this waiver. (laughs) So she was like, I won't say it. I was like, I said, you're old enough. You know, if you go and you put the time in and do all this stuff, you're going to get benefit from that in a lot of ways, but you're old enough to know that for yourself. You don't want to dance. You don't have to dance. So she does it on her own time when she's in the mood in the middle of the night or whatever. And I'm like, whatever you're doing, have fun. And she has enough pressure with yeah. millions of eyes on her. I don't, I don't want that to happen in the house.
Hey, ladies, we're going to take a quick break to talk about women's intimates, women's essentials. What is she talking about? I'm talking about bras. I'm sitting here right now as I'm recording this. I am wearing the most comfortable bra on the planet. I have it in multiple colors. I'm going to tell you about it because everyone is too eager to whip their bra off because they're uncomfortable, but they're not uncomfortable if you find one that actually fits well. And the way you're going to find one that fits well is by going to a company that has over 80 different sizes, including half cup sizes. That company is Third Love. You want to go to thirdlove.com forward slash Chalene to get 20% off the world's greatest fitting bra. I promise you that. You don't have to enter any code. The Third Love website, when you go there, you can go from on your phone right now while you're listening to this. There's a link in our show notes. They have this little quiz that you take. It takes like no time at all. And by taking that quiz, a personal shopper will help you find the perfect fitting bra based on your breast shape, your body type, what you prefer to wear. Like these things actually matter. And their fitting room has helped over, are you ready for this? 18 million women find their true bra size. You're never going to want to wear a bra from any other company. I am wearing the classic plunge bra. So this is the bra that you want to get in every color, especially if you like to wear, like right now I'm wearing a button-up and you can hear all my accessories because I like to wear like all my gold layered jewelry and then I wear a nice button-up and you want that, you know, you want to go a little bit lower. That's the style. And you kind of have your shirt open a little bit and you need a bra that gives you a deep plunge, but also gives you the good support. And that's their 24-7 classic plunge bra. By the way, I also love their classic t-shirt bra. But anyways, you want to get one. I'm telling you, you will not regret it. If you don't love it, you've got 60 days to return it, which is pretty amazing. Third Love knows that there's a perfect fitting bra for every woman. So right now, they're offering lifers 20% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com forward slash Shaleen to find your perfect fitting bra. You'll get 20% off your first purchase. I'm not just saying this. You guys, it's the only bra that I wear unless I'm exercising, in which case I'm wearing a sports bra. But half the time, I wish I was wearing a Third Love bra because they're just that comfortable and they're that flattering. Thirdlove.com forward slash Chalene for 20% off your first order. Well, so many of us, while our kids are under our roof and we can say, this is my house, I paid for that car or I paid for that phone. You know, you've got this nice leverage over your kids because they're financially dependent upon you. Even when they're off in college, you know, they're still financially dependent upon you. So even if they're over 18, you still have that Mm -hmm. moment where you can say like, I get to call the shots. And you're in this precarious situation where both of your girls are able to be completely financially independent. And with Charlie being 17, Dixie 19, a little different, but That's got to, at some point, I would assume, feel a little bit nerve wracking because at a certain point, you can't take those kinds of things away from them. Mm -hmm. How is it you are at the moment kind of coping with this thing where, you know, Charlie's about to be an adult. Mm -hmm. Dixie is an adult. Dixie can take care of herself financially. Charlie can take care of herself financially. If at 18, Charlie says, I want to get on, get my own apartment or even later this year, How would you handle that? So we've actually talked a lot about this. Where Dixie lives is an apartment building and it's very secure and it's so comfortable to have her there. You know, people do ask like, did it freak you out when she moved out? I'm like, her building is like Fort Knox. Like nobody's getting in there. And I feel very comfortable, but she would be in college in way more situations where I'd be a nervous wreck. I'm fine. Charlie's thinking maybe, you know, she's mentioned maybe when I'm 18, I can move into Dixie's building. And I said, I think that would be a great like next step. I said, but don't feel like because you're 18, you have to don't feel like because you can afford it. You have to. You always have a room. Dixie always has a room because she will stress about it. Like, should I? Mm -hmm. Shouldn't I? Should I? Shouldn't I? I said, when you're ready, you're going to know. It's Mm -hmm. not going to be me saying, okay, I think you need to go or it's not being you saying, I'm 18. I should go. You're going to feel it. And yeah. whenever that day is, we'll do it. And we're going to have so much fun and we'll go buy all the things and do all the stuff, you know? And so, I mean, where we are now, she has a nice little setup. And so it kind of feels very apartment-like in our house as she yeah. kind of gets that feeling, but you know, she's a little bit of a nervous bean. So I think it worries her to not be here, but 
battling with that. I want to be independent, but I want to be in my bubble, you know? So I would be fine with it. She would be going off to college anyway. They always can come back. This is so true. There's so many moms listening now that, you know, and all of us do, we struggle with social media. We're all on social media. It's not just the kids. I mean, we are too. I don't know what I would do if I was raising kids right now who are like in elementary school and all their friends have phones and all their friends are on social media. I'm lucky enough that that didn't happen until my kids were later, but it still did. And and I know it's had an impact on them, good or bad. I don't know. It's just very different from the way we grew up. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I let my kids use social media, but I had rules around it. Like they had to use it in a way that was for business or building their own brand, if you will, even when they were like nine and didn't really even know what that was. But I wanted them to to see it as a tool, Mm -hmm. also something that could has a downside. I just didn't want it to become the place where they used it to like get attention from boys or to do things that they would regret later. Mm -hmm. But again, I think it's different today. And I'm curious because although the average person can't relate to their kid getting, you know, tens of millions of followers in a short period of time, I think every parent can relate to this idea that it could happen. They could have a video that goes viral tomorrow, or they could have somebody slip into their DMs who's a predator, or they could make dumb. Kids are dumb. Yes. Just are dumb. They make dumb decisions and they do things that they haven't thought through. How is it? It's foundational, but what foundational pieces do you think you put in place with both girls where you didn't have to worry about that as much? Right. It's funny because Mark and I recorded our podcast yesterday. I don't think it's the next one coming out, but the next one. And we went into- Oh, you're way ahead. Very big detail on that. And we sort of think differently, but short form is Mark has always been an entrepreneur, started his own brands and businesses. And, you know, he lived in a time where, you know, he was going up against Nike for ad space and GQ magazine for his clothing line. And he was a small company, like he couldn't afford it. And so then for social media to roll around and these conversations, the kids have known and we've talked about for years. So how fortunate they are to live in a time where you have this tool that you don't have to wait for the big guys to fund your company, to be able to get magazine space. But the fact that you control that is amazing. So don't take it lightly because I lived in a time where I couldn't do that. And Mm -hmm. most small businesses and entrepreneurs couldn't do that. So we were always early adopters of social media, mostly Mark because of business. My family lived in Louisiana. It was a way for the kids to keep up with their cousins. But because of Mark's background, so I grew up, I don't know, our generation, I guess, adults would say, be careful of your reputation. And that was the word. And for Mark, it was, wasn't even a conversation or a thought, but from when the kids were young, it was like when they would do things, like the conversation was, is that what you want for your brand? And this was even before social media, before they have phones or anything. Like, oh, wow. is this what you want for your brand? You are a brand. And what you put out there, which is like same as reputation or whatever, and what you let people see is what their reality is of you. So be very thoughtful mm-hmm. of what that is, but also don't be a jerk. Like just be a good person in general and just put that out there. And so when they did get social media, that was that conversation grew and it was always an ongoing conversation. And so when they started posting, my kids to this day will ask, like, do you think I should post this? So, and they've done this before they had the growth on social media, they would ask us, our opinion. And I thought that was, I mean, like, I don't know if a lot of teens ask their moms and dads. They do not. They block them. (laughs) And my answer was always this. If you're asking me, you already have doubt. So let's figure out what that is. And I would put it back on them. And I'm like, why don't you think like, what are the negatives of it? And well, I don't know, like, and then we would talk it through and they would you know, either put it or not. Obviously the conversation of you're in high school, you post stupid stuff. Your college is going to see that. They look at this stuff, your fraternity, sorority, like sports, whatever it is, that is going to bite you. It sounds to me though, that they were really very guided by what the two of you would think. It's great. They want your respect. They are pleasers for sure. They want to do the right thing and they don't like if we're 
upset. And yeah, and we always gave that, you know, I think I grew up in a generation where kids are seen and not heard. And it was never a conversation, but that's just not how we are. And so there were always yes. part of the conversation that, you know, like, just because they're little, it doesn't mean they're not creative and smart and have viewpoints. So we would always listen. And Marcus said their whole lives, like everything's always up for a conversation. It doesn't matter what it is or what time of day, always up for a conversation. So they know that. And they have posted things and we're like, absolutely not. Take it down. Okay. So that was going to be my next question. So let me jump in there and ask you, is there, there's been a time where you saw a post and you were like, mm you don't understand how this could be misinterpreted, or maybe there was something even more blatant than that. Tell us about an experience like that and how you handled it. Well, when Charlie first started posting on TikTok, I was, you know, Mark and I started like, okay, what is this TikTok? This is like, now we're hearing it a lot. And this was before it was big. And so she would do the, her and her friends and the kids, like not just people I knew, like other kids, I'm scrolling on the For You page and I'm they're doing these videos to songs with really explicit lyrics. And Mark and I were like, absolutely not. What are you doing? This is not okay. No way. And they were like, okay, I get it. So fast forward, I think it's a combination of being a little numb to it. And then Mark had a good, we had a good conversation about this was, he was like, if she were an actor in a Scorsese movie. And she had this line that she had to say, and it was full of every word in the book. Would we say, absolutely not. You can't do that. No, we'd probably say she's in character like she is in her videos. Although people think they, oh, this is who she is. Like if you met her, she's not saying Mm -hmm. those words. (laughs) Like she's very much like shy and quiet and kind of like, right, right not full of all the words. And so very quickly we realized it's just part of it, but I still, sometimes I still like, come on. <laughs> and how will they respond? If you're like, I don't know about this. And I don't know. It makes me uncomfortable. They're like, all right. All right. Fine. They'll take it down. And you don't even have to ask them to, you just kind of make that face. And that's so cool. That comes from respect. I just think that it starts so young. I get messages all the time from parents who will say like, you know, my teenager talks back and they yell and they scream at me. And when I tell them, you know, the thing that you said to say, they just disrespect me, slam the door. And I'm like, all of those things didn't happen to a teenager. Those were things, I hate to say, you, you missed those opportunities mm-hmm. when they were younger. Now, granted, there are teenagers who just like go off the rails or things happen, you know, like they're just traumas. But yeah. so much of parenting and getting through those tough spots, they're not as difficult if you do the tough things early. If When they're younger, you set those standards where there isn't talking back. We don't talk back. We can have a discussion, but there's no, once mom and dad tell you how it's going to be, that's how it's going to (laughs) be. Yeah, I think, and it was very obvious when the girls were very little and we were living in the Northeast, how different we parented than most of the people around us. I don't know if it's a geography thing or what, but there was always rules. And from very young, like Dixie had a thing, like she couldn't be around a book without ripping it. And I was like, that is not okay. And I would reprimand her and she was little. And I remember Mark's sister being like, oh, she doesn't know she's a baby. I'm like, BS. She knows, she knows that's not the right thing to do. And so from very early there were just things that weren't cool to do and we're not going to do those things. And, you know, if there's a situation and they were misbehaving, we're going to go to the bathroom. We're going to have a conversation. I would, this might be crazy. People are going to think I'm crazy, but before we would go out to dinner, before we got out the car, we laid the ground rules. We're going to behave. We have colors. We have activities. We're in a, Mm -hmm. but we always brought our kids with us. They came with us everywhere. And bring your blankie. If you want to put your head down, we're going to dinner at seven 30. It's not like we have them out at midnight, but you know, if you're sleepy, put your head down, go to sleep. And we're still like going to be together and we're going to be a unit and we're going to have a good time. That was the one thing we could always promise. We're going to have fun. And so they got that and they were very, you know, look, was it always perfect? No, but I felt like, let me just remind you before we go in, 
And when the waiter comes up, we have a big thing. When the waiter or waitress comes up, electronics, crayons, everything down, look them in the eyes, give them respect for coming to your table and taking your order. And that was to this day, we still do that. Like put your phone down. What are you doing? We're not, we're ordering. Let's give them respect. So that was just never an option to do anything but that. And we were always on it, but we didn't lack. There weren't times where we're like, oh, I just like, I can't today. No, you have to, because I knew it was going to benefit them down the road. I have three older sisters with amazing kids and they had already done this. I saw it. And so I knew we knew Mark and I both, even though he wasn't from Louisiana, he liked that he could see, you know, my nieces and nephews were a little older and how respectful and kind and like just good people because of the groundwork that was laid. But it's not easy. It is not. No, easy. <laughs> it's not. No, not going to lie. It is probably the hardest thing and most important thing, I think, yeah. that we have the the blessing to be able to do. Yeah. You know, being in the public eye for anyone, for a grown woman who's been through countless experiences and has the receipts and the knowledge, the know-how, the wherewithal, the years under her belt, to be in the public eye is still such a daunting thing to have to deal with. And especially true today where it's not just People Magazine, it's millions and millions of people who can create content about you, who can talk about your nose, your eyes, your hair, your body, your waist, your breasts, like all of these things. And that's got to be difficult, number one. And number two is there's this trend, I've talked about it recently on the podcast, where some of the most popular content is content that is aimed at tearing down other people, creating infighting, creating controversy where there isn't controversy. And these are tend to be the most popular YouTube videos. They tend to be the most popular TikToks. And I don't know why it is. I hate it. I hate all the focus on negativity. I don't understand someone who thinks they're going to build a brand on ripping apart other people, Mm -hmm. but it's got to make it 10 times harder for your family. I mean, you know, you and Mark, you're going to be fine, but you've got to worry about what impact this is going to have on your daughters. Because even if they're perfect, there's a billion people out there who are like, let's make a hate video, let's, et cetera. How do you help them navigate that? So... Whether they had a hundred followers or a hundred million, it hurts the same. That's what mm-hmm. everyone should know. Like people, I think when they got to a certain level thought they weren't real humans and Hey, you're here. You have to deal with this. And they're just, that doesn't sit well with them. And so we just create distractions, try to have a good time. Let's just do something fun while doing that, reminding them that, we're a unit. Your friends are always welcome. Let's remind you of the people who love you. It's family, friends, or followers that they've inspired or whatever. That's the focus. And we always remind them of that. That has to be the focus. Because when the second you give all your focus to the hate and the negativity, that's not good for anybody. That is not good for anyone's brain at all. So do you tell them like not to read their comments? Like what specifically do you tell them? Obviously this has happened to the girls and now we're kind of in with it as well. I think it's much easier because we're all in it because if I weren't in it, I would say, don't read your comments. That her entire life is both of them is on their phone and posting and deliverables. And, you know, I have a new song coming out for Dixie or I have this coming out for Charlie and And this is what, you know, Charlie has said, when my phone is off, it's still on. It's in my mind. What I'm doing tomorrow, is that going to be well-received? Am I going to get hate for that? You know, it's just a constant. So we talk about this all the time. Like, what's the balance? How do you balance it? I think like any parent, making sure your kid is okay outside of that and building them up outside of all of that, because it's just weird. And no, it doesn't feel good for anybody. And it's not easy to say, yeah, I don't care. I do care. It sucks. It hurts to wrap your mind around the fact that someone is taking the time to make videos or content about something negative about you. It just doesn't make sense. And so to try and like make it make sense is a waste, waste of energy. So let's just focus on how to build you up, 
let's whether it's just like a distraction for the day, we're going to clear the calendar today, no work today, let's go do something fun. I've learned sometimes we just have to get through those moments and then we'll do some teaching stuff. You know, even if it's like get through the moment so then we can look back at it and say, you made it. That was the next time it might be a little less hard. And so mm. there is no right answer. I don't know. I don't look at the comments very much. They've look at them a lot less. Probably Dixie looks at them the most and we're like, stop. She's like, I can't help it. So mm. I never, but they do say there is a balance and I need to be aware. And like, if there is something I'm being called out for that I didn't realize, like, I need to be aware of that. That's true. That's a hard balance. Cause you're going to see the other stuff in the meantime, but yeah. I mean, I, I personally, uh, certainly I don't have anywhere near the number of followers, but it just started to become really obvious to me. The more awareness you have, the more crazy negative people there are. It's just laws of numbers. So if I am fortunate enough to read a hundred nice compliments, I have to understand that just law of averages, there's going to be two that make me uncomfortable or two that I need to friggin' block or two that I will, you know, like write a 30 minute reply to, <laughs> and then go, I really shouldn't post this. <laughs> I do that all there. the time. But I always feel so much better after I write it. I'm like, yeah. oh, well, let me just waste one half of my day replying to yeah. this person who has a, you know, four followers and a, a cat icon yeah. as their profile picture. And let me waste half my day doing this. And then I posted, I'm like, why did I do that? Well, you know what? I have done where I've typed it all out and I'm like, yes, this is going to make me feel better. And then I'm like, delete it. And I'm like, I'm so happy yeah. I didn't post that, but I sure do feel better that I was able to just typing yeah. it out and just saying, you know what? I yeah, it's it almost like it. you're saying it for yourself almost sometimes. I, I do feel better. I don't, I don't really do that too much anymore, but it's, I mean, our life has moved so quickly that I think we're getting better at, okay. There's just so much going on that things used to really get all of us down in different ways and it would last for days. We don't have time for that. And we're like, let's just yeah. like, we got to move on. We have other things. And also let's just have fun. Let's just like not focus on that. So just the mindset, changing the focus. I don't know. It's not easy. In my conversation today with Charlie D'Amelio and Dixie D'Amelio's mom, Heidi, you know, I keep mentioning kind of jokingly therapy for your kids, but I do think that we are at a place that my generation, the Gen Xers, understand that it is the ultimate advantage that you can give your kids and to give yourself and to give your marriage and to give your relationships. And that is finding a good therapist. But finding a good therapist can be expensive and it can be kind of inconvenient. And some people are really intimidated by that process, which is why I am so honored to have Talkspace.com as our show sponsor today. Listen, talking to your friends is great, but that ain't it. You know, you want to get unbiased feedback. You want to get great advice from someone who's actually a licensed professional, someone who is going to keep all of your information confidential. And when it comes to therapy and psychiatry, that is the advantage. Talkspace has therapists that can give you support the support that you need to feel your best, regardless of what it is you're dealing with, whether it's anxiety or stress management, anger management, your relationship issues, food issues, body issues, all of these things are so much easier to conquer when you've got a licensed professional at your fingertips to help you. Now, listen, this is really important. As a lifer, you get $100 off your first month with Talkspace. They're going to match you with a licensed therapist today. So I want you to go to Talkspace.com or you can download the app. Just make sure that you use the code Shaleen because that's what gets you the, you know, the $100 off, which is really important your first month. And it's also, frankly, how you show support for the show. It's how you show support for yourself, your family, whomever. Again, that is Shaleen. That's the code when you go to Talkspace.com. Or you can, of course, download the app. Just go to your app store, whether you're on Android or an iPhone, and you can download their app. And again, you'll enter the code Shaleem for $100 off your first month. As I always say, smart people have a therapist. So go get yourself one. All right, let's get back to the show. You know, I, I just recently watched the Britney Spears documentary. There's like two of them out there, but I just watched one of them recently. And thinking about how young your girls are, and obviously there's a lot of differences, but do you worry 
about them being sexualized, you know, now that there's so many other brands and there's so many cool opportunities and you you get wrapped up, you're not going to be able to, I assume at some point, go to every single thing with them. Do you worry about that for them? They're pretty good on their own with that stuff. There was a conversation Charlie and I had that this has been a while, but she was at this point where she was feeling like I'm always going to be stuck here in this Mm. age with this content. And I'm afraid I'm not going to be able to grow up. Wow. And I said, okay, you're not wrong because this has happened. We know all the stories of like, you know, they finished Disney and now they're like this bombshell and people aren't okay with that. And so I said, well, I think you have to continue to be yourself. She felt like for herself, like if I do something that's maybe a little more grown up that People will still see her as a 15. Yeah. And that like, and then make her feel bad for wanting to grow up. And so I said, I think if you do it gradually, naturally, as you would anyway, people will digest it as better than if it happened like, okay, I'm 18, I'm a grown up, and now I look like this. Like, I don't think that's reality. I think it does happen gradually. I mean, some people have a glow up like that. I say, but you're still maturing. You're still like, your body's changing. Your mind is changing. Like, your taste in clothes is changing. Like, that's okay. And I think just do it naturally. And she has done that. And she's like, I don't love this, but she does flip off the camera now. And I'm like, okay, we get it. You have two metal fingers. Who cares? Why are you doing this? (laughs) She was like, I literally don't do anything rebellious. Oh my God. I just flip off the camera and I'm like, I'm not okay with this. I just want you to know, because you don't need it. Mm. We get it. You're growing up. Move on. Yeah. It's a pretty harmless form of rebellion. It's funny because my daughter, Sierra, did the same thing. And I just remember thinking, if I say I don't like it, I'm going to get more of it. Yeah. You know, it's like because I knew that was her form of saying, like, they're all people pleasers and they want you to like them. And I don't, you know, and that was kind of like her way of saying, like, you can't get to me. She did calm it down a little bit. She doesn't do it as often. But I was like. It was just like a lot, like all at once. And I'm like, now it's just like too much. Like you're doing too much. Calm down. (laughs) Heidi, you know, the last thing I wanted to, and thank you so much. This has been really great. I just feel like I'm getting to sit down and talk to a best friend who's a mom, like, and just talk about all these cool things. But one thing that we've been talking, I've been talking about a lot and it's been a theme on the show is imposter syndrome, right? And my personal belief is everybody has it. Anytime you're doing something new, you have imposter syndrome. You're like, I'm going to pretend that I belong here. I'm going to pretend that I know what I'm doing. I'm going to try to look how I think I'm supposed to look. But almost all of us have imposter syndrome. For you yourself, I'd love to hear how you feel in these new situations where you're being invited under red carpets and you're having meetings with executives and TV shows and you know all of these things. How often do you feel like an imposter and how do you deal with it? So that's funny that you bring this up because we've had this conversation started with the girls and I'd never heard of that before. I mean, I've never been in the position to have to hear of that. I didn't know what it was. And then I saw it on someone's like Instagram post or whatever. And I was like, that's my kids. They very much had that. And that took a long time for them. They're not even there yet to be like... I belong here. Like, it's very strange because the things that they're passionate about that they've worked for, that if they got to that level in that, they would have been like, yes, I did that. I did the work. I'm here. What happened was this growth on social media kind of happened to them because of lots of reasons, but happened to them. And so they don't feel like they belong Mm. there. And people tell them that, which doesn't help. Well, one of the cornerstones of imposter syndrome is, in fact, that feeling that this was by luck. I don't think I can do this again. Or what if I can't? So therefore, I better fake it while I'm here and I don't feel like I deserve to be here. And so what you're expressing to me is, you know, it would make sense that your daughters would feel that way. What I think has helped is now that life is opening up again and we're going to these things the people that come to them, people in that are actors or athletes or musicians that come to them and like, 
I love what you're doing. What has happened, whatever way it was, people that they respect and look up to, like whatever is happening to you, your sister, your family is incredible and you should own it. Mm -hmm. And people are telling them that and they're just like, oh, that's cool. It feels a little more comfortable for them. For me, so when this we had this conversation and then Mark and I were like, wait, I told him it was kind of like, no, no, I don't want to. And I was like, you have it. Mm. You have that. And he was like, what are you talking about? I was like, you have imposter syndrome. You're trying to always be like, no, no, I don't want to. I'm like, own it. We're here. Let's enjoy it. And he was like, well, you have it too. And I was like, yeah, I do have it. So we had like these little light bulb moments. And so I think just keeping on being ourselves. We're not characters. And when we're at these events and meeting people, we're just us. And so it's not like they're just people too. And very quickly, we're seeing how like we're all humans and everybody has their own way they came up. But for some reason, we're all on this red carpet together. So let's have fun. And so it's feeling better for sure. Well, I love you said that. I think that's a really important tip for anyone who struggles with imposter syndrome to keep that in mind. We believe that people are superhuman, that there's something special about them, that they, you know, they're just not as flawed as we are, whatever that thing is that we want to do. And then when you step into that new thing, you just feel like they're so much better equipped to be here, to do this. They're so much more worthy, whatever it is. But, and then, but once you start to like, let your guard down and talk to other people, you're like, oh, they're just as flawed, insecure, whatever, human as I am. I remember the first couple of times I would speak on a, a business stage, right? And often in front of a, like an all-male audience of very successful entrepreneurs. And I remember being so nervous before I would take the stage thinking all the things they're thinking about me. Like everybody in the audience is a doctor, a lawyer, a neurosurgeon, like in my mind. Right. And they're all looking at me going, what is this dumb girl doing on the stage? She doesn't make any sense. And then afterwards in speaking to them, I'm like, wow, this guy in this nice suit is just as insecure as anybody else is just as flawed. And he's, you know, whatever his credentials are, he's still just a flawed human, just like me with insecurities. And so now before I take a stage, I think to myself, all these people are just as insecure as anybody else. And my job is to make them feel good about themselves. And it just, it kind of shifts that power balance opposed to walking into any situation where you're like, I suck. I'm not good enough. And walking in almost like a scared Mm -hmm. victim, you can walk in like, oh, I'm going to help other people to feel like they belong here, even if you are the newbie. Yeah, I love that. And you're right. But it's hard to, when you're in that moment of, I don't belong here, it's hard to remember that. But yeah, I mean, I'm just so lucky that the four of us are in it together because (sighs) it's kind of interesting. We're all always happens where one of us is going through something at a time. Thank God, because if we're all going through it together, I don't know. So we're always lifting one or the other up at one time or another. Like nobody's ever on the same page as far as like when things are getting them down or feeling insecure or not sure, am I doing the right thing or whatever? We're always there. And the kids have done it to us, to Mark and I many times. And I'm like, all right, when you have your teenage kids coming to you and like, don't let those comments get to you. You have no right to feel this way because you are special. You are supposed to be here. And so when your kids are telling you like, you're like, okay, we can do this. (laughs) You know, there's so many famous families that we can think of where the kids were doing things, parents are doing things, or they just have their own television shows. There's, there's countless. And I'm sure that there are those comparisons. You're like, "Eh, I wish people didn't compare me to this family or that family, but it's just, it's going to happen. And that's how I think people make sense of who you are. They want to go like, oh, so you're like Mm so-and-so nobody is, but I'm wondering from a mentorship standpoint or a, a role modeling standpoint, if there is a family or someone who's been there before you, who you've watched the way they've dealt with this as a family and taken some things to heart or, or even talk to some people to get some advice. We haven't talked to anyone yet and that have been in the position that kind of what happened to us, mostly because life is just opening up. So we're just starting to meet people, but I would love to, we all would love to. I think when you have someone who's been through something similar, there's just that instant connection. And, you know, they may be able to say nothing more than, 
hang in there. It's going to suck sometimes, but yeah. you'll be okay. Is there anyone who you haven't met? Maybe we can put it out there into the Ooh. university. You're like, you know, I've always thought that I like their values or their ethics or the way they handled things. Anything that you would be like, I would love to connect with. Okay. I know you're going to think I'm being cheeseball, but like, honestly, you, your family, the way you guys do things, <laughs> I, your kids are older than mine, but I do. I mean, I've watched you guys for years and I feel like I would always look at you like, wow, they seem like, you know, they're enjoying this together. Everybody's has their own thing that they do, but it just works. And listen, you know, nothing's perfect. I think I'm smart enough yeah. to know that, but if you can just still find the fun in it and communicate, thank you for throwing my name to that. <laughs> I, that wasn't even on my radar. I wrote down Osborns, the Osmonds. <laughs> yeah, we yeah we used to watch the Osborns. Like, I think those are the shows that made me want to like. I don't want to do a reality show. Like, that's scary to me. But it wasn't like yeah. that. Like, it wasn't. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's going to lead me to my very last question. Do you have some in writing? You don't have to share them with us, but have you and Mark sat down and said, this will be an absolute no, this would be an absolute no, and this would be a deal breaker, those kinds of things? This is all happening so fast that there's a lot coming in and it's Mm. kind of those decisions that are made as things come in. We're not even able to like get ahead of that for, I were very fortunate, you know, that is a good problem to have. So we all have our things more like, just philanthropy more of for all of us is kind of what we we feel like we're lacking and want to do more. And so that's probably the only thing that is out there. But as far as deal breakers, I mean, the obvious things, like just things that's not natural to us or authentic or something we would align with. But those just like, as they come, like, like that you already know them. You don't even need to be in writing because it's how you've lived your life. Yeah. Yeah. It's, we're pretty like, yeah, we'll figure it out. That's Mark's famous last words. We'll figure it out. It'll all work out. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I tend to worry a little more. Heidi, the name of the podcast where folks can tune in and listen to you and Mark talking about parenting, relationships, that show is called? Mark and Heidi, the other D'Amelios. <laughs> and I learned the other day how to pronounce your last name. It sounds like you did too from your husband. I love that. I don't even that know. So funny. We messed it up again when we recorded yesterday. I'm like, you're not even saying it right. (laughs) (laughs) We have to get his dad on the show. Well, thank you so much for being here. And thank you for sharing your wisdom. I want to encourage everybody to subscribe to your show. Check you out on Instagram. And of course, your beautiful daughters and your husband, Mark. We just wish you the best. And you've got my number. Any advice I can give you? I'm a couple years ahead. I'd love to give it to you. But you guys are just, you're rocking it. And congratulations to having that foundation in place because it really makes a difference and it shows up. Thank you so much. And please tell your father-in-law hello for me. I love him. And I love your relationship together. And thank you for documenting that. It's beautiful. That's so sweet. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Great to meet you, Heidi. I'll talk to you. Talk to you soon. Okay. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye.